And we back. Hey, hey, huh, hey, huh, hey, huh, hey, huh, hey, huh, okay, huh, hey, huh. So let's jump back in it. I haven't reached out in a minute. Tell me what's good, how you feeling? We about to make a million. No, I ain't forget about the rollies. All my homies getting a percentage. Let's go, let's get it. Hey, what's up, Joey? What's up, Ryan? And welcome back once again to another episode of the Nosebleeds. As we're winding down here on our time at WECB, we're going to make it count with a good last stretch of episodes here. And we'll start it off today, as always, with the hangover. And Ryan, I guess today we got a little bit of breaking news or some of the closest things to it that we've had on this show. As Sam Darnold, just an hour or so ago, was traded from the Jets to the Panthers for a sixth round pick this year and second and fourth round picks next year. So, Ryan, you like this trade for the Panthers? you think that they got their quarterback in the future here in Darnold? Yeah, I do think they have the quarterback in the future, Joey. I think Darnold never really got a fair shake at with the New York Jets. I think it was a dysfunctional organization over overall. So I think it's good for him to go to a more competent organization overall and see what he can do. I think he's going to get a fair chance to show whether or not he's actually a good quarterback here. Yeah, and I think you got to think about the the extra dominoes that are going to fall as a result of this because obviously they still have Teddy Bridgewater as well, who, as we saw last year, I think they're fine with as their starting guy. Probably pretty clear that he was never the long-term answer. But now you get a guy in Darnold who maybe along sort of the same lines but definitely has a higher ceiling. You're probably hoping that he could be the long-term answer. So given that, I think you're, you're not going with a quarterback now with that number eight overall pick for them. And that's a team that a lot of people had you know, obviously, one, two, three, we're going to have quarterbacks come off the board. And then probably the next most obvious spot after that was the Panthers at number eight. Mm-hmm. But now getting Darnold for, I mean, you give up a second next year, that's not ideal. But relatively, if he's your guy going forward, it's not a whole lot to give up for him. So I think now at number eight, they're going elsewhere. Maybe that's a, a trade down spot now. So I think it really changes the dynamic of the upcoming draft as well. Yeah, it definitely does. They can do something else that number eight. Do you think they'll trade down? Uh, I think if anyone's trading up, you might have to trade up above number eight anyways, just because we've seen years past the, the betting that not betting, uh, you know what I'm saying? The, the race, I guess, to get mm-hmm. up there and to get your guy. Cause again, yeah, sure. The auction, the bidding rather, bidding. that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, but yeah, so one, two, three again, Ryan, I know, I know we talked about last week, but just for the sake of this, we won't go too deep into it, but let's say it's um, Lawrence Wilson. Wilson Jones, one, two, three. Again, hopefully it isn't for your sake, but then you're looking at Trey Lance and Justin Fields on the board and not a whole lot of teams there in that next part of the draft that are in the market for a quarterback. Right. Yeah. So I can, we talked about how great some of these quarterbacks are, but you can totally see someone like Trey Lance slipping way into the late first round or someone like Justin Fields, depending on where those guys go, because now the Panthers seem to have their quarterback for the future or someone they want to build around. They're not going to be drafting a quarterback number eight. So I can see them, um, trading back. I'd see them also staying at eight if they want to add some offensive weapons. You still have an amazing offensive, you still have some amazing offensive players right there at that spot, like Kyle Pitts. People are saying he's one of the best tight ends to come out of college, and you have some amazing receivers too. But I personally don't know all the Panthers' needs. I know all I know is that they have a pretty solid defense. I don't know much about their offense or their offensive line or anything like that. So they might be drafting for more position players. Yeah, and if you look at the the draft order here, there's really not a team after the Niners that I would say for sure would take Fields or Lance until you hit 15 with the Pats. Because I think 
even if the Patriots want to run it back with Cam Newton next year, if a guy like Fields or Lance is on the board there, they have to take him. And I, and I definitely think they would. But just looking at some other potential teams, the Falcons at four, there was a lot of buzz early on that they would think about getting a quarterback. But now the restructuring of Matt Ryan's deal, it seems like that might not be the direction they're going in. The Lions at seven, depending on how they feel about golf. The Broncos at nine. Uh, the Eagles, I mean, Jalen Hurts just changed his number to number one, so I think he's pretty confident that he's the guy, at least for next year, right. and that basically takes us to 15 with the Pats. You know, a little bit of a a team that I think who's right behind the Panthers in the draft order that probably were pretty happy about this trade today are the Denver Broncos because they're a team looking for a quarterback. But but are they is the thing. Oh, I hope so. They Drew Locke's not the answer for them. Yeah, and I think this is where I, I would agree out of the teams I just said, they're probably the most likely to just because we're talking about Fields and Lance. It's not like we're talking about guys that we haven't seen. I mean, Lance, we haven't seen him in the biggest stage, but we've heard about him for over a year now. We know after this particular year he had in his last full season that he was going to be in these conversations. So my point is we're not seeing a guy shoot up boards to a team like the Broncos just because the Broncos are looking for a quarterback. We're seeing guys who legitimately were being talked about being number two overall picks a year ago before right. guys like Zach Wilson and had Mac Jones had a heck of a year, but nothing really fields or Lance did this year, especially Lance considering he only played one game, but nothing either of them did really had them falling down boards. It's more what guys like Wilson and Jones did to, to shoot up them. Yeah, you're not wrong. I don't know. I'm looking at the order right now, Joey. If Atlanta takes a quarterback, which I can also see them doing. Well, then the bidding starts, I think. Right. Yeah, that's basically where it is because that could be four uh, quarterbacks in the first four picks, which it will be at Atlanta because it's the first three are definitely going to be quarterbacks, obviously. And if Atlanta takes that fourth, it's like, oh, I wonder who that fifth guy is. I think if it's Mac Jones, I think people are more hesitant. But Justin Fields and Trey Lance is still on the board. I think a trade is definitely possible to happen. Yeah, and it could, it could be the Pats. It could be the, the Saints again. Uh, who knows how they feel about their guys because now apparently they, they like Kyle Trask a lot and they can see getting him maybe at the end of the first round. I don't know, maybe be a bit of a reach, especially considering the fact that they're so below the cap that they could use a few more offensive weapons out there. But again, maybe maybe they get Trask in the second round or something like that, and that's their guy going forward. But there could be a trade-up for sure, I think. It, it, as you said, if those first four picks are all quarterbacks, I think the urgency is on the Pats. It's on the Broncos if they want a quarterback, on the Lions if they want a guy. Uh, and again, who ends up being the team that would trade up? I guess we'll see. But if it's four in a row, someone has to get up there. Yeah, well, I was going to say this might be looking more and more likely for the Patriots to trade up because I looked at the draft order as soon as I knew the Panthers – Traded for Sam Darnold. I saw the Pats at 15. Obviously, you have Denver at nine. And I could definitely see New England. I don't know what their draft capital is like and how many picks they can trade and all that. But I, I think a team like Carolina, it would make a lot of sense for them to trade back in that 15th spot, fall on like a good wide receiver or something like that. And the Pats would be looking very pretty at number eight, getting that fifth guy because that, that fifth guy could be really good. <laughs> like if you get Mac Jones as a Patriots, like wouldn't you be pretty okay with that? Uh, I, I'm sort of with you on the Mac Jones thing, just as a personal, you know, as a fan of the Patriots. If they sat at 15 and got him there, I, I still wouldn't even be that happy, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I don't like Mac Jones at all. Yeah, but everyone and, keeps talking about how good he is. Yeah, and again, maybe they're right. I, it's just I totally don't like the fact that he played on one of the most stacked college football teams of all time. I don't like that he can't move the way the other top four guys in this draft can move. Um, and again, maybe he'll turn out to be a, a solid pro. I'm not totally against it but i'm more just on the excitement level here where with the patriots we haven't been able to be excited about a draft in a really long time and whenever we got Nikhil harry it was very exciting even though he's been a bust so 
my point is just getting someone exciting in there. Mac Jones, a quarterback, so obviously that's exciting to an extent. But to get a guy like Lance or Fields, which seems also pretty possible if the rumors about the Niners loving Mac Jones are true, then um, I'd be way more excited to get a guy like Fields or Lance in there to, to just sort of get some new blood in there. Every single time, I know we're going a little bit off topic, but every single time that I hear that Mac Jones might get traded to the 49ers, a little bit of my heart breaks. Like, I can't imagine <laughs> cheering for Mac Jones because he's like Jimmy G. It's like the same type of quarterback. It's hard to get behind that. I don't know. I can see if he falls to 15, I think that'd be good for the Patriots, but I don't think you'd want to do that. I think we're on the same page. Well, I'll say it again, too. I, I am totally in favor of trading up to get a quarterback if you really firmly believe it's your guy for the next 15 years. And if that's the way they feel about Mac Jones, then fine. But I still think that at 12, from every mock draft that I had seen before this trade, it seemed like the highest anyone had him going was number eight to Carolina. So looking at the trades that happened between the Niners, the Dolphins, and the Eagles, why wouldn't you just trade it to number six if Mac Jones was your guy and give up a whole lot less to get him? So I still don't fully buy into it. But again, there is the train of thought that if you love Mac Jones that much and you know you can get him at number three and you don't have to worry about it at all, then just make that deal today and don't for, and, and just forget about the rest. Yeah. So maybe that's all it is, and maybe they really do like Mac Jones that much, but I just think it's weird that they would do that. Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page with the Mac Jones thing. I think what I've heard so far is about Kyle Shanahan for some reason loves Mac Jones, but the front offense, front office loves like Trey Lance or Justin Fields. So who knows? I think Kyle Shanahan would be overthinking things if he got Mac. And again, we know, as we said last week, a lot of this at this time of the year is all deception. It's trying to get your opponents to think you're doing one thing when your plan is to really do another. And that could be what all this is. They could be liking Fields or Lance, who a lot of people would have as the third-ranked quarterback, where a lot of people would have Mac Jones as the fifth. So we'll see a couple of more weeks until this all unfolds. And obviously, we'll uh, keep you updated with the latest stuff on that. But the Donald to Panthers move, probably a good move for them. I think it's at least worth a shot. But as I, as I mentioned, I think the larger implications of what it could do to this draft are worth mentioning as well. And now with that, we'll move away from the NFL and back to the NCAA tournament as we're reaching the end of that tournament tonight, Ryan. But first, we have to recap what we saw over the weekend in one of the greatest college basketball games I've ever seen, UCLA versus Gonzaga in the Final Four, obviously ending on a buzzer-beating, banked-in three-pointer by Jalen Suggs. So, Ryan, just give me your initial reaction to that game. I, Joey, that was one of the most amazing college basketball or just regular basketball games I've ever seen in my life. Like you said, um, I was watching in here with a few of our friends. You were home for the weekend. We just all stand up screaming and yelling when Jalen Suggs hit that shot. Cause I, I thought when um, Juzang put back his layup, I thought that was definitely going to double OT, which I was even more excited for. But when Jalen Suggs hit that, I was just, it was amazing. He's an amazing player. And I think UCLA, that was one of the most incredible runs. I think we've seen just by the way they played because they had the best two games that have happened in this NCAA tournament both came out of UCLA with the overtime game against Alabama and now with Gonzaga UCLA game yeah you got to give a shot to UCLA first of course because Johnny Juzang Kentucky transfer back home in California now and now maybe he's playing himself into being a lottery pick just off of a a really great NCAA tournament run so Mm -hmm. again as you said shout out to UCLA but the biggest standout to me was obviously Jalen Suggs um, and obviously the three that won it is going to be the one that remembered the most, but Ryan, I'm not sure if you remember at the end of regulation, it's, um, Juzang to the hoop, right? It was, no, it wasn't Juzang. It was, um, one of their centers. Bigger guy. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, they, as I said, to a center. yeah, it might've been Cody Riley going in and Jalen Suggs meets him at the rim, sends it away, gets the rebound, 
bounce pass all the way up the floor. Gonzaga finishes. I thought that was game right there, to be honest. Yeah. It was the biggest momentum swing in the game. Credit to UCLA for, for getting it back and forcing overtime in the first place. But that place, though, to me, just the, the play on both sides of the ball. And then he, he's all hyped up for his teammates. And I think Gonzaga is such an interesting team because you look at them and they're in part your classic college basketball team with guys who have been there for a few years, guys who aren't necessarily going to go on to have a, a great NBA career. But then you throw in a guy like Suggs too, kind of on the other end of it, the biggest recruit Gonzaga's ever had, probably going to be a top five pick in a couple of months here. And all together, it just makes such for an intriguing team in Gonzaga, and that's why they're undefeated right now. Right. They they deserve that win, but they had to win it. UCLA didn't lose that. That block in that pass was, like, one of the best sequences of basketball we've seen this whole tournament. And Suggs definitely in this – he was already a top prospect coming into this whole season, but after this tournament run, whether or not they lose tonight, he's definitely going to be a top-five draft pick. People are talking about him going number one overall. I don't necessarily believe all that, but I can – I can see that, I guess. Well, the talk is for the draft right now, the top five, it seems to be a five-person draft. And we hear this year in and year out that there's a certain number of guys and then there's a drop-off. And this year, those top five, in whatever order, we'll get into order after, but it's the two G League guys, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga. And then you got Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs. And Ryan, I think before this tournament, a lot of people might have had Suggs at number five. Still, though, acknowledging that there's a big drop-off between Suggs and whoever you put number six. But I think now this tournament run is at least changing my mind. Is it changing your mind at all? Are you pushing him up your board? I'm definitely pushing him up my board. I think Cade Cunningham is probably your number one overall, purely because he's just uh, Jalen Suggs, just like four or five inches taller. And that's just purely size. That's how the NBA is. But I think I can see him being a top three draft pick. Obviously, depends what teams end up where. But I think he puts himself ahead of John, Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green. I almost said Jalen Hands. Jalen Green. <laughs> Jalen Hands. Shout out Jalen Hands. Emerson Where's basketball alum. I have no clue. I almost said Jalen Hands. Because um, I think the G League is kind of – that's a catch-22. Because I think those guys don't get as much exposure. I don't think those guys get recruited nearly as much. And is, is the level of competition really that much better at a G League game than Gonzaga-UCLA like it was last night? I don't know. I think Jalen Suggs – as a leader on his team has shown a lot more than I think Jalen Green could all season with uh, whoever the hell he's playing for in the G League. The, the Ignite there, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree to an extent. Um, I, I think it's very hard to compare the two between NCAA and uh, the G League, but I will do a little uh, Suggs versus Cunningham comparison because I think it's interesting. I think I think saying that Cunningham is just Suggs with a few more inches is, is simplifying it a little too much because Cunningham, obviously, he's got all the talent in the world, but Suggs has a level of energy in his game that I don't think Cunningham even comes close to. Right. Cunningham gets fired up for sure. Like he'll yell out things and stuff like that. But is he really playing with that fire that we saw? And again, I'm going to harp on that sequence that Suggs had the block and the, the pass all the way up until the draft. And maybe even after that, and obviously the shot as well, but just, just what I saw from Suggs in that game in the whole tournament is an energy and a willingness to be a, a part of a greater team. Not that Cunningham didn't do that, but Cunningham was obviously the main show at Oklahoma State, whereas yeah. Suggs might not even be the best player on the team right now at Gonzaga. He'd probably be the best pro when it comes time to determine that in a few years. But as of right now, he might not be the best guy on that team, but he's fitting in. He knows his role, and he's a huge reason why they're in the title tonight. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're right about the energy that you're talking about with Jalen Suggs. I watched a lot of Cade Cunningham this year because I was just curious how great of a player he was. And he, watching him play, you can tell he has all the talent in the world, but sometimes 
he wasn't asking for the ball. Sometimes he wasn't pushing up the court. You're right about the energy out of Jalen Suggs. He just seems to have that it factor, whatever the hell it is. I think Jalen Suggs has it. I think Kate Cunningham just has a little bit more uh, potential purely based on his size. And Absolutely. His and, and again, this is predicting way too far out for right now, but it's just maybe so I can put it on record and then we can look back on it in a few years. But as you said there, I think Cunningham's got way more talent and I think maybe he'll put up better numbers at the NBA level for sure. Mm-hmm. But I could totally see Suggs being your, your second or third best guy oh, on yeah. a really good team for a long time. Whereas Cunningham, just the way he plays, you're probably going to have to have him be the, the focal point of your offense. And I think he could be one of those guys that the question comes up of, well, how good can a team led by Kane Cunningham really be, if that makes sense? Where right. He's obviously amazing, but is he ever going to be a top five guy in the league or something like that? I'm not sure yet. I think Suggs knows that he could be a an all-star every few years, maybe a perennial all-star at, at the top end of that. But he'll know how to fit in and to make whatever team he's on better. Whereas with Cunningham, he's just never had to do that up until this point. So I'm not as convinced that he's capable of doing that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joey. I thought that Oklahoma State was going to have a better run, not because of Cade Cunningham, because I thought they have a lot of veteran presence around that team, as veteran as it gets for college basketball. But the one thing that I wasn't banking on was Cade Cunningham's ability to lead. But when you think of Gonzaga, you obviously think of the whole team. But I think Jalen Suggs, the way he's just able to – do his thing and fill his role. You watch Gonzaga play, and it's not all about uh, Suggs. The ball moves around, and if he has an open shot, he takes it. But if he sees the open man, he passes it. When you watch Oklahoma State, it kind of sticks with one person. He gets his numbers. He goes up, but it sometimes doesn't always lead to winning. So I, I don't think that's – I think it's a really good take. I don't think it's a hot take, but I think it's really uh, insightful. It's also – it's the problem is it's not something that NBA teams really think about during the draft, which I don't particularly blame them. If you're looking at two guys and you think one is, I, I think Cunningham is a significant amount more talented than Suggs at this point. Like, I don't think it's that close in terms of that. So if you look at Cunningham and you think, hey, he's the best guy in this draft and you want to get him at number one, I totally get that. I'm not knocking that. But it's just one of those things where you could look back on it in a few years. And I think already this year we could see it with, let's just say, Anthony Edwards and, and Tyrese Halliburton. Let's take those two as an example. Edwards, way more talented than Halliburton could be a way better player in the long run. But right now, if you're trying to win a title, you'd rather have a guy like Halliburton who knows his role, can fit in, and all that kind of stuff. And I think we could see something like that with these two guys down the line. Well, in that uh, example, I think that's more of like where they end up. I think anyone who ends up with the Timberwolves is there to die. Well, not not as if the Kings are the the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, you're not not wrong, but I just think Timberwolves are the worst winning percentage of all time. Yeah. So, I mean – we're comparing like bad apples to bad apples, but like one's a little bit worse than the other. You know what I mean? Like Anthony Edwards. I also never liked Anthony Edwards going into the draft. Just want to put that out there. I think we might've talked about it, but attitude wasn't on point. Uh, how, I don't know. That's just Suggs could be better in the long run. Him being the third best player in your team, in the NBA, that's a championship team in my opinion. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all. If he, if he's a guy who finds himself on some really good teams in the pros. Warriors? People are saying, well, I mean, I, that would be a good fit, I think. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Six man, energy off the bench. Or, or even maybe, him, or even coming off to be a point guard. Step yeah, I was going to say play at three. Or, I mean, kind of have them both handling that ball handling. Yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him be a target for them for those reasons, especially after they pass up on LaMelo Ball a year ago for uh, a similar role. Maybe they see Suggs this year in a similar role and say, well, we can't make the same mistake twice. Right. But we'll see. Um, I think Suggs definitely – did a lot to improve his draft, draft stock. And Ryan, quick pick here, national championship game in a few hours. Who do you got winning it, Gonzaga or Baylor? 
Gonzaga's coming in at a five-point favorite, and I think that's pretty accurate. I think people are kind of down on them because of the UCLA game. They thought that Gonzaga didn't play well, but that wasn't it. I just think UCLA played amazing. They did everything right. Gonzaga just came out on top. I think Gonzaga wins, and I, but I think it's a close game. I think five points is right around as it should be set. And I have Gonzaga coming as my national champion. Joey, who do you think? Yeah, I think it's Gonzaga too. I, I just can't pick against them. There's no point in doing that. But Baylor definitely surprised me. Um, obviously no. not the, the same level of NBA talent that um, Gonzaga probably has, but they're just a great college basketball team through and through. And a guy like you, Ryan, obviously you pay closer attention to college basketball than me, but me not knowing a lot of the names on the team, I just didn't particularly believe in them too much. And obviously that's that's on me now they're in the title. And I think... I wouldn't be shocked to see them win it, even though the talent probably swings in Gonzaga's favor. Well, I'm going to say two things about Baylor. One, Gonzaga and Baylor are supposed to play before conference play at the beginning of the year, postponed because of COVID reasons with Baylor. And this is the game people are looking forward to all season. And we get it in the national championship game because people think of these the best two teams in the country. And two, I think Baylor only lost one game this whole year. And the one game they lost is right after their COVID break. And I think it would have been an amazing story if these were the two undefeated teams coming to the national championship because I thought that was very plausible and very possible if this COVID thing didn't happen to the Baylor team. So I'm excited these two teams are playing because I remember I was looking forward to that game very much because it was right after Gonzaga-Iowa at the beginning of the year, and now we finally get in the national championship. Yeah, so it should be a good one, and we'll definitely recap that a week from today as well. But now moving to the NBA, a bit of, I guess, humorous news or sad news, depending on how you look at it. It's the beef between Michael Rappaport and Kevin Durant right now. Obviously, Michael Rappaport has been going at KD for a while now, saying that he's not even really playing in New York and all that kind of stuff. But KD is known for his social media antics as well. So I guess, Ryan, where do you stand on the debate right now after Rappaport was on first things first this morning? Just uh, not not putting his best face on there. Uh, I didn't watch the first things first. He was also on Undisputed. Oh, that, that's it. That's oh, not yeah. first things first. Yeah, well, he was on Undisputed this morning, and maybe you could talk about a little bit what he said. I didn't watch that. I saw he was going to be on. I didn't have time to watch. But just concerning the tweet exchange, I thought it was kind of whack that Rappaport posted that on Twitter. Like, I think he could have handled that a different way. I think screenshotting and posting is kind of wild, even if he did bring up his wife and all that. Um, Rappaport's known to do all this stuff, so – didn't really surprise me that much. Of all media personalities, he's probably the only person I know to do it. I think KD looks really bad because KD, as we know, is pretty petty on social media. But this takes it to another level. I think this is kind of ridiculous. So, Joey, what do you think? Yeah, well, just on the the Undisputed this morning, uh, Rappaport just on the verge of tears for, for part of it, talking about how he can no longer walk his dog around the same people he used to, can no longer go into the same coffee shops that he used to without – uh, being called a cupcake by different people. So it was tough to watch. Uh, just, But I assess the blame in this probably about 90% Rappaport, 10% KD. Really? Yeah, and I'll, I'll get your your figure on that after. But I, the 10% for KD, it's just because it's, it's the typical KD stuff, just getting a little too sensitive over things being said about him. And it's like, you're Kevin Durant. You don't have to say anything to anyone. You really are okay. You're an NBA champion. No one... You shouldn't care about what anybody says, but the fact that he put Rappaport in his place as well as he did is why the blame goes so little to him. And Rappaport gets the lion's share of the blame for me, just because, like you said, posting it on social media, that's way out of line. You can have whatever conversations you want in the DMs. I don't really care, but to then screenshot it and put it up without KD's permission, that's that's where Rappaport really comes looking in bad for me. Well, yeah, I mean, 
he didn't really need KD's position because KD said it and KD texted it to him. So I think that's where KD looks kind of bad. It's like Rappaport shouldn't have posted that. Thing and Kevin Durant, he needs to take some responsibility for the words he said because there were some wild things he said. Oh, absolutely, like things people will never say. No, Pete. Ever I, I don't even want to imply most of the things he said. There's no, there's no point if, on this show, Mom. If you're listening, I would never say those words that Kevin Durant <laughs> said. I just want to put that out there. Um, I think it was whack that he did that, but I also think it was whack that Kevin Durant said all that. So, so, so where, where do you, where's your blame? I think ninety, for? I think ninety ten is kind of ridiculous. I think it would be more like sixty forty. Wow. I think wow. Kevin Durant said some crazy things. Kevin Durant has a track history of being a bit too sensitive for a multimillionaire producer. You know, I mean, he does everything. One of the best scorers of all time. He he is undisputedly one of the best basketball players of all time, and he, although counts, seems like a pretty solid human being. So I don't understand why he gets so sensitive when in his feelings when eighteen year olds tweet at him. It's it's like people people give Kevin Durant a pass in my opinion for the whole social media thing, but we don't see any other NBA players act like this. We see Kevin Durant always replying to the kids and replying to people. Everyone's like, well, he's allowed to have his opinions, and yeah, that's totally true. But he's the only NBA player people make those excuses for. If Steph Curry came out on Twitter and responded to someone as Kevin Durant does, we, we'd be looking at him in a different way. I think Kevin Durant gets way too much of a pass with these things. Uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't entirely disagree. That's why I gave him that 10%, but uh, you clearly overvalued that uh, to, to the extent that I did. But, hey, that's that's why we have these conversations. You know, Hopefully we don't end up like Rappaport and KD in each other's DMs over this. I was, I was going to say, uh, never mind. Never mind, never mind. Uh, go, <laughs> I, I hate Kevin Durant. Uh, I, hate, I, hate, I hate his social media. <laughs> Kevin Durant's amazing. I just hate his social media presence. I think it's kind of weird. If I was a millionaire, I probably wouldn't even have Twitter. Do you like that he went to the Warriors a couple years ago, Ryan? No, Joey. I hate that he went to the Warriors. He ruined my life. All right. Well, then, I mean, I, wait, I wait, think wait. that makes I, it clear. And Ryan, I, wait, who's, who's your favorite player in the NBA again? I was going to say it since I don't see the rest of the episode us talking about the NBA. Well, we will, but I don't know how we can fit this in. Right after Russell this Westbrook. <laughs> Russell Westbrook is amazing, and we're coming back. Let's go, Wizards. So, so you love Russ, and you hate KD. Okay, yep. just just wanted to make that clear for everybody out there in case that that might maybe correlated, may not be. I'm not sure. But with that, we'll move out of the hangover and into the forecast, staying with the NBA, though. And, Ryan, today we have two topics to talk about in the forecast. We'll try to be somewhat quick on each of them. The first one, there's been a lot of pushback to the NBA's buyout market. We talked about it a little bit on last week's show people not liking the fact that guys like Andre Drummond, LaMarcus Aldridge are heading to the big cities with the biggest contenders in the league. So Ryan, how do you feel about it? Do you think that there should be changes to the buyout market, maybe an extra financial penalty on teams who take advantage of guys in that market? What do you think? What precautions should be taken going forward? I don't think the team should have a extra financial punishment if they take on someone like LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, DeMarcus Cousins, name your player, because that can be for any player in the NBA. So I think it's kind of hard to regulate that. I do think it is getting kind of unfair though, when the buyout market happens, they never seem to go to the Thunder or go to the Timberwolves or go to the Pelicans. I think it's a very one-sided market and you know, when it's a buyout market, you know, where these players are going, they're either going far East or far West. They're not going in between the countries. So I don't know how you're going to change it or regulate it, but I think something needs to be done. I think maybe the the more interesting question too regarding this is you look at a guy like let's just talk about Blake Griffin in particular. The reason he got bought out, it's not because nobody wanted him per se. Obviously, when he hit the market, there was interest from a bunch of teams, but it's the fact that he was being paid a ridiculous amount of money over the next couple of years. So there should be something maybe where a guy like Blake Griffin, 
everyone knows he's being overpaid. No one's going to trade for him to take on that money. Well, then right now, the only natural route for him is to hit the free agency market and be free to sign with anyone he wants. And should we blame him for signing with the Nets, for signing with the team that maybe gives him the best chance at the championship? I don't blame him one bit. I think the, the bigger problem might be the process that led him there. So again, I don't know how you fix that down the stretch, but if we, if we look at Blake Griffin and we know that he can still contribute, but it, obviously not to the extent that his price tag would imply that he could, then I think that's where you got to fix something. How that works exactly, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I see what you're saying. He was on way too big of a contract to actually be traded the Nets. But I don't know. Thinking of, thinking of possibilities is way over my head, Joey. I just, I think. But but do you think something should be changed? I guess yes, we'll just start there. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I think something should be changed. I'm not the guy with the answers, but I think something should be changed. I'm not saying, like, maybe financially penalizing something someone like the Nets for collecting all these players. But then again, these NBA owners have such deep pockets and they're bringing in so much money that it doesn't really matter to them. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like when these teams are fine or that it's, it's not a hard cap, it's a soft cap. So they go into luxury tax and all that. They still dip in and they still pay it because they know they're going to make it back tenfold two days later. So, well, that's where we've seen those penalties get really extreme over the past few years, which is probably the best move unless you want to, you know, turn into more of an MLB type of, uh, revenue sharing kind of thing where players get so much money and teams can get so much power based on the market, based on the history of the team. Obviously, we're talking about teams like the Yankees, Red Sox, and stuff like that who, who can just pay guys whatever they want. If the NBA wants to head towards more like that, then they can. But I think the consensus from fans is that that's not where they want it to go. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously, that that's where we both stand on it. So, yeah, I hope there's changes. I hope that it that you can have veterans at the end of their careers compete for a championship. I don't want to take that away from guys like Griffin and Aldridge, but it just should be a bit more of a process at least where other teams have a chance. Like you're saying. Yeah. Other teams should have a chance. Like, how would you say it? Like um, if your team is like above in the top, like four seeds in the East or West, like should they be able to, sign a certain amount of player of a certain amount of caliber or do those players have to be choosing another one it's, it's it gets in really murky waters i was gonna say i think that's even tougher because then that's yeah. a lot of subjectivity that's is how good is blake griffin compared to some other guy or something yeah i agree and it's a lot of nba has so much player empowerment to a point where players in the nba can do whatever they want whenever they want and to whoever they want and the nba the players make the league when, like, in the NFL, it's not like that. It's the teams make the league. So, I don't know. I can see this being an issue, but at the same time, it's like the Nets were going to be good with or without Blake Griffin. I just wish that Blake Griffin went to another team where he could actually help, but he chose not to. He chose to ring chase instead. So, do you, Blake Griffin or KD, which one do you like more or less? Oh, I like Blake Griffin more. Okay. Just making sure. He dated Kendall Jenner. That makes you like him? Just like, like, like a respect him. kind of thing. Yeah, game respect game. Right. More of a Kylie guy myself, as we know. I, I mentioned that on the show before. She's a top five goat for you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but <laughs> staying in the forecast now, we'll move to another topic within the NBA because we had a couple of guys who have been decimated by injuries over the past few years. Say signed ten day deals. First, it was Isaiah Thomas with the New Orleans Pelicans, and also Demarcus Cousins with a ten day deal to the Los Angeles Clippers. So, Ryan, the question that I have for you. Will either of these guys be signed to a deal for the rest of the season, or do you think it's 10 days, maybe another 10 day after that, and then they're done? What's your prediction for, for either of these guys this year? I think DeMarcus Cousins is going to stay with the Clippers. 
because he seems to work hard and he's obviously an amazing talent and he's seven feet tall. I think Isaiah Thomas is going to be a 10 day and out or another 10 day and out. I don't really see the point of him going in the Pelicans. I mean, it's just a good story. I like, I like seeing Isaiah Thomas out there, but I don't, I think he brings a lot with him too. I definitely agree on cousins. Cause I think cousins is at worst, uh, you know, a weapon you can have in your back pocket that in a playoff series, if you need a little more offensive production out of the center spot, because obviously Zubats is not giving you that. He's giving you physicality, a good presence defensively. But if you're looking for more offense, if you have Cousins, you're sitting there on the bench and you're able to throw him out there whenever you want, that's a great thing to have ready for you. Because I think he's obviously not the athlete he once was. He never was a phenomenal athlete to begin with, but he's still just as talented pretty much as he ever was. And he seems to know his role. Like, I don't think DeMarcus Cousins, we don't hear much about his – attitude which i thought was upplayed way too much but we don't hear much about his attitude or he doesn't complain about not playing a lot like he signed with the warriors knowing damn well he wasn't gonna be the best player on that team signed with the lakers knowing even though he got injured knowing he wasn't gonna be a focal point of that team so i think demarcus cousins is in a good space where he can come off the bench and give you a few points in a game to game or situation to situation basis i think isaiah thomas i i don't know how you fall i follow him on twitter as i think you do too i i don't know how good he thinks he is and how much he expects to contribute to a team so well the biggest thing with him in in the pelican situation it's sort of what you alluded to earlier is they're they might not even make the playoffs they might not even make the play in at this rate so if you're in that position i just don't really get why you wouldn't want to give more minutes to not only lonzo who's heading free agency i'd like to really know what i have in him if i'm in their position but also Kyra Lewis, a guy who took in the lottery a year ago to potentially replace Lonzo if he left or to hopefully be a, a really consistent part of your future. Obviously, you'd take a guy in the lottery for that reason exactly. So to now get IT, if you're not really competing for much, you're definitely not competing for a title. You're just trying to get into the playoffs at this point if you're them. I just don't really see how that makes a lot of sense. I don't blame IT if they're the only team that came knocking for, for a 10-day deal because any and all opportunities are huge for him at this point. I love that he went down and played with Team USA in whatever tournament that was and mm-hmm. boosted his reputation a little bit that way. But I just don't think the Pelicans are a great fit considering the position that they're in in the standings. Is Lonzo Ball an unrestricted free agent or restricted? R- restricted. Okay. Do you think you should stay with the Pelicans after this year? Big game last night for him. Yeah, apparently, 27 points. Apparently he's got his sights set on Chicago or, or New York, though, for whatever reason. I, I think the Pelicans are a great spot for him mm. to sort of play a little bit off the ball to Ingram at times. And obviously you got Lonzo there to throw lobs to whenever you want. Or I'm sorry, Zion. Did I say yeah, Lonzo again? Yeah. Lonzo. yeah. So um, I, I think it's a great spot there. I think if they pay him, I think he could be the third guy in, in that big three for their future. I don't know if they see it that way. I don't know if he sees it that way, though. I think he's too much of a brand and too much of a – not personality because he doesn't seem like a loud guy, but he – I think him going to New York makes a lot of sense, playing with an up-and-coming team and becoming part of another young up-and-coming team that he, he's also in New York, not New Orleans. So I think New York makes sense. Chicago, I don't really care much for, but New York, I would love to see Lonzo in New York. Yeah, I like the New York one more than Chicago, definitely, too, because I think, obviously, they're they're getting an identity now, at least in terms of, you know, toughness and that kind of thing, but I still think if Randall's your best offensive player, if you've got everything running through him at the end of the game, it, it's probably not great for you. I think if you bring Lonzo in there, I've been saying the whole time with Lonzo, the Lakers never really did it as much as they probably should have, and the Pelicans definitely haven't done it. It's just let him run the show. Just let him be your guy. And again, that doesn't mean have him have the ball at all times, but have him be the guy that everything runs through. That's what it was like at Chino Hills. That's what it was like at UCLA. 
And that's where obviously we've seen the most success on him. Obviously it's against lesser competition as well, right. but to, to see him have the chance to just make his mistakes and grow from it would be great. And I think New York probably gives them the best opportunity to do that just because Chicago now with Levine and Vucevic, you're, you're probably at least trying to compete for like a top four seat or something like that. Right. Well, hmm. I don't know. Lonzo Lonzo's a great player, but we haven't really seen his talent fully unlocked because I don't think we've seen him in his best situation. It was his rookie year, can't shoot well, gets injured. Second year, LeBron comes in. Third year, Pelicans trade, doesn't play well, gets injured. Then now it's his fourth year. It's his best season, but he's playing so off ball with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. And I, I don't know. I just think he needs to get out of there as well. The Knicks would be great if they just let him run through it. I think the Knicks are going to probably going to sign someone pretty solid in the offseason. I think what Tom Thibodeau is doing there is pretty good, and it just restored the reputation of the Knicks a little bit. Um, like, for example, Kyrie and Katie went to the Nets, not the Knicks, and I think that's for a specific reason because the Knicks are trash or were trash, I guess, at the, at the point. I don't want to be disrespectful. Um, I think if you get Lonzo in there, Randall – you sign someone solid in the offseason, I think the Knicks could be a good playoff team next year. Yeah, and I think the the biggest key, like you kind of said, is just not being a joke anymore and doing that with not the best talent in the world, obviously. I think coming into this year, a lot of teams, or a lot of, uh, I guess, people predicting where these teams would finish had the Knicks still in the bottom three in the East. And I think even looking at the roster now, it's not in a crazy thought, but instead they're, they're firmly in the playoff picture where we're at right now. So I, I think just doing that and, and overachieving this year, it's sort of what we saw with the Clippers a couple of years ago. And I hate to make that comparison because the Clippers ended up with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if the Knicks find themselves in a similar position as that, but it, but it's showing that with less than spectacular guys, obviously you got an all-star and Randall, but other than that, it's a lot of, of guys who have been cast offs on other teams or top picks that haven't quite met their expectations, guys like that. And they're still, performing as well as they are so given all that i think you're totally right the knicks are getting a lot of respect back at least from from us to anything from a lot of nba fans right i think starting lineup alfred payton's your starting point guard and if you just swap them out swap him out with lonzo ball that provides more height more defense better passing oh, not as good as scoring but overall i think a better player than alfred payton i think the knicks are a few wins better even than they are now sitting at 25 and 22 i believe yeah, no, 25 and 25, purely 500, but that's that's sixth in the East. So, Well, the biggest thing I like about a Peyton for ball swap, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying, but I think then you you have a clear direction. Like no one in their right mind in the NBA right now has Alfred Payton as their starting point guard and expects him to be in that role for the next 10 years. Right. If you get Lonzo in there on a big-time free agency deal this summer, it says, okay, this is our guy. We have him and Randall now. Hopefully Barrett can take another step. And hopefully quickly can take another step. Hopefully Toppin can take another step. But you're at least now on, on a pretty clear direction where even now, as I said, they're doing well enough, but you still don't really know where they're going with this team. Right. And you still have Obi Toppin. Ain't no stopping Toppin. You just come up with that one? No, I heard it before. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. You, you, Knicks, the Knicks seem to be know what they're doing well, and I think they have a good coach. that Thibodeau always seems to do well with the younger players. He might run them into the ground. But and he always seems to bring back his old players, Derek Rose and Chaz Gibson, playing for him right now as well. Um, I like what's going on in New York. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's looking better than it has in a long time, and we got away from it there. But again, my official prediction: I think Ryan yours is the same. Cousins, he'll be locked up for the rest of the year. Thomas, I just don't see him making it to the end of the year with the Pelicans, unfortunately. But I hope that he can 
play his way into a deal with maybe another team this year or hopefully at worst in the offseason. Wait, one more thing before I move on to the next subject. I'm just looking at who played last night for them. What happened to Kevin Knox? What was oh, he's he, like terrible. Seventh or eighth overall pick or something yeah, like that? Yeah, and, and I heard, I think it was Ryan Rosillo talking about it. Uh, shout out Rosillo. Love the podcast there. But um, it's just Knox, his rookie year puts up, I think it's like 12 points a game. Mm-hmm. But it's terrible percentages. The team yeah. is terrible. <laughs> um, and it's just, hey, this is our rookie. Let's get him out there. And hey, Knox, take as many shots as you want. So I think, I think he was never a good NBA player. I think that rookie year is a bit misleading to everybody. But I think if, if I remember correctly at the time, and obviously now it's clear that he was never really cut out to be a, a top guy in this league, which is unfortunate. Yeah, which is unfortunate. You always have to question um, the players in those situations because you've ha- he, you've given him the opportunity. It's been a few years. You bring in multiple coaches, and it hasn't worked for each of them. You just wonder how much they're working in the offseason or working on themselves. So you just got to question that. Yeah. Someone like Julius Randle, you can't question how he's doing because he seems to work his, uh, his butt off every other, every other play, every practice. But you have someone like Kevin Knox where it's his – third or fourth year in here and it seemed nice beginning but now it's just starting to fall off yeah definitely but that'll do it for nba talk today as we move into our final segment of the show and that's top five in ryan and classic march madness spirit we have to do our top five college basketball games so ryan if you want to start it off what is the number five on your list number five i have north carolina against georgetown uh, I think it was 1982. It was the MJ shot they talked about in the last dance with James Worthy on his team. I have that at number five. It's doing the national championship. Patrick Ewing on Georgetown. And I think that's – you had three Hall of Famers on that court in that game, and Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Patrick Ewing, two storied teams. And, yeah, Michael Jordan, best player of all time, hitting the championship shot or the game-winning shot. So I have some, that at my number five. Some might say KD is the best player of all time. Any any response? Kevin Durant? Yeah. He's trash. <laughs> he's trash. No, he's not trash. He, he right. might be the best. Nah, I don't want to deal with this. All right, yeah. Well, obviously, that's a joke. Obviously, that's a joke, everybody. It's either LeBron or Jordan. I think, as Ryan just said, I guess we're both in agreement, and Jordan hasn't always been that clear in this room, but you just you just put it on record, I guess, that Jordan's still your GOAT. So He is a GOAT. All right, all right there we go. Um, quick note on my list. I did all ones that – happened in our lifetime and in particular on my list all ones that i had seen so okay, ones, ones that made a particular impact on me so some of these research. some of these may be a little strange um but number five for me is michigan versus kansas in the 2013 sweet 16 it's trey burke game winning three kansas misses it at the buzzer uh trey burke making a name for himself obviously he's had a, an up and down nba career now settled nicely into a role with the mavs but Took Michigan to the first Final Four, I think, since the Fab Five, if I have that right, obviously, until they make the Final Four this year. Yeah, they yeah, just they lost, lost the other day. Yeah. So, again. Uh, no, no, no. Michigan, Michigan lost the Elite Eight. Elite Eight. Okay. So, yeah, it would have been the first time since 2013 that they made it then. But, yeah, a great run in 2013 for Michigan. That was obviously the game that stood out the most, given the, the game-winning three from Trey Burke. So, shout-out to, to that game from 2013. Shout-out, Trey Burke. Yeah, Joey, I – I was thinking about doing my original list. I made it real quick, but in my original list, I had um, most of the games I remembered. So, like, I had, like, a Wisconsin game in there. I had a game here and there and stuff like that. Like, I had Wisconsin, just a little shout-out. I think it was Final Four between Wisconsin and, I think, Kentucky. And that was with uh, uh, Frank Kaminsky. But, like, I thought I was thinking more, like, all-time games that my dad told me about and stuff I looked up. So, I'll move into my number four. But this game was – Better of memory, and I think it's going to be kind of an upset. all the way at number four, Villanova-UNC, 2016 National Championship game. Um, 
the reason why it's so low, the buzzer beater obviously to win the game, but I think the reason why it's so low is because I don't remember the game that much. <laughs> I just remember the end of it, which why everyone is that? will. I don't know. I watched the whole game, but I just don't remember if it was back and forth, this and that. I just remember, obviously, like everyone does, the shot, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley's reaction, things like that, Kenny Smith. Um, great game. That's my number four. I have, I have other three good ones, but we went a different route. So, all right, number four for me. This might be the one I talked the longest about, surprisingly, but it's the the 2007 national championship, Ohio State versus Florida. I remember being in a Home Depot with my family, buying something. I don't even know, but I remember watching it on TVs in Home Depot, and I remember my dad watching it with me as well. And he was convinced that Greg Oden was the second coming of Bill Russell. Um, which, hey, maybe he might have been if the injuries hadn't piled up. But obviously, for those of you who don't remember the timeline, the Celtics also sucked that year. They end up with the number five pick due to terrible lottery luck. Get Jeff Green, trade him for Ray Allen, then trade for Kevin Garnett as well, and the rest is history there. But at the time, it looked like the Celtics had a legitimate shot at the number one pick and having to make what obviously is now an easy choice, but what was a terribly difficult choice at the time between the second coming of Bill Russell and Greg Oden and Ryan's favorite, Kevin Durant. So I remember my dad watching that game very closely. I obviously didn't know the implications of it all. I don't know if even though my brother knew all the implications of it all uh, at the time, because it was, it was obviously just a, a crazy, a crazy game to watch. Obviously Al Horford ends up going number three overall ends up on the Celtics too. Mike Conley has a great NBA career. Corey Brewer, Joakim Noah, a lot of names in that one in the first college basketball game. I distinctly remember watching. Maybe it's because it was in a home Depot, but uh, definitely a game that stuck with me to this day. That's not bad. This this seems like a very sentimental thing out of both of us, and you're going to hear why for me. It's going to get pretty sentimental soon. My number three, I had the game that we just watched and talked about, Gonzaga-UCLA. I think that game was back and forth. Amazing ending, final four against the Blue Blood in the UCLA with one of the best players in college basketball right now, Jalen Suggs. So, I don't know. We talked about it enough. I have them in my number three, best games of all time. I wish it was a national championship, a final four I can do with. We can just talk about it a little bit more, Ryan, because that's number three on my list as that's well. Cool. I think, uh, yeah, tonight's game will be hard-pressed to top that one, no matter if who wins on either end. That game was just phenomenal, as you said earlier, just on both sides. Um, so, yeah, that's number three on my list. I think that'll be the one, probably, regardless of Gonzaga winning tonight or not, that'll be the game that sticks with us in this tournament. Um, yeah, and I honestly, Ryan, I just tuned in for – most of the second half. I didn't even watch the first half really? live. I had to watch it after because the second half was too incredible. But I was watching a movie. Dad's picked the movie at home. And, man, you know how you know how dad's pick of movies go, Ryan. Goes, Joey. Yeah, so, so I had to get out of there. I had to watch the end of the Gonzaga-UCLA game. And it was obviously an incredible game from what I saw. As I said, went back and watched it all. And, yeah, it's number three on my list. And I think that could be even low looking at my, my one and two. Yeah, it was an amazing game. Um, who? Wait, wait, quick thing before we get to our last two, final two. Who do you think the key is for Gonzaga to win tonight? Like, who who's the player for you, Joey, to beat Baylor? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know all the matchups enough to definitively say that. But from what I've seen from Gonzaga, I think it's Timmy. Yeah. I think you got to get that interior presence at least to then get Kispert going. And it's, you know, the simplest basketball analysis of all time. But if you get that inside presence, then it opens up your shooters outside. And I right. think that's what they ultimately look to do for the most part with Suggs kind of being that wild card who can kind of do it all inside and outside. So I'd say if you can establish Timmy, it can sort of get your shooters going as well. And that seems to be what they love to do a lot. But what do you think, Ryan? Well, Timmy, 
to me, was a non-factor in that first half, this foul trouble. But as soon as you saw, watched the second half, like you said you did, he was the X factor for the um, Zags. So I think he will be the X factor tonight as well. Just wanted to see what you had to say on it. I think Drew Timmy's going to be an amazing player tonight. And have Heck of a mustache, game. too. Well, okay, here's my thing about is, this. Is, wait, is that, is that what you're doing now? Is, uh, I was do have it a inspired by on. Timmy? No, Timmy, the thing is, Timmy didn't have that all season. He had a, it's a tournament stash. That's why I have more respect for someone like, guy on Baylor with the mullet he had that all year I like watching that because he had a mullet all year right like that's sick but Timmy that's a that's a tournament stash so like is it that impressive yes all I know is you referred to the Baylor player with the mullet as the guy on Baylor with the mullet and maybe that says more well maybe that says more about him as a player but everybody knows Drew Timmy's name all right and I think a lot of that has to do with the mustache so I'm going to give him some love here what's even his, if you what's want. his name the guy on Baylor He's like six man. He was like, he was like top fifty in his uh, ESPN class. He's a junior. You're just proving my point. Every everything you say here, uh, forgetting it. Whatever. He's show some wet. love to the mustache, right? Don't take any yeah. love away. But it's a, it's a tournament stash, though. Whatever. Whatever. Tournament All right, so stash. I'm gonna head to my number two because I'm over this conversation. Um, the Leitner game. I think we've all watched the ESPN 30 for 30. Why I hate Christian Leitner. Um, it's the Elite Eight, I believe, against Kentucky. Let me double check that real quick. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's the Elite Eight against Kentucky, the overtime. Grant Hill, Christian Leitner on the same team. Grant Hill tossed the ball, full court pass tri- to, to Christian Leitner, free throw, dribble, turn around, shoot, score, bucket, win against Kentucky, another storied fran- uh, franchise, another storied college. So I think the Leitner game, I think we all can know what that game is. So well, that's, that's my a, number two. That's the team that I've heard compared to this Gonzaga team a couple of times as well, just given sort of what I said earlier about the, the mix between experienced college basketball players and younger ones, whereas Grant Hill, I believe, was a freshman in that game. Let's call him the Jalen Suggs of that team coming in and, and doing a little bit of everything, but still not having quite the experience of a guy like a Leitner who had already been through the, the highs and lows of the NCAA tournament before, who's now obviously, I think he's a junior at that point. Um, Bobby Hurley. Bobby Hurley. You can't forget Bobby Hurley out there as well, again, along the lines of Leitner. So, yeah, I, I think – it's a it's a classic college basketball team there at Duke, and that is the by far the definitive moment of the the Leitner run for them. Who's maybe the greatest college basketball player ever? Perhaps the most notable or memorable, um, but definitely in that debate as well. Number two on my list on best college basketball games ever is Villanova versus UNC in the 2016 national championship. Um, for me, I'm sort of with you. I don't necessarily remember all the ebbs and flows of the entire game, but Chris Jenkins' three-pointer for the win is obviously the one you get to remember the most, but you also got to give a shout-out to Marcus Page's amazing shot uh, that, right that. Uh, you know, nodded it up. I can't remember the exact Tied score situation. 77-74, yeah. whoever on North Carolina shot that shot to make it 77-77. Yeah, and Marcus Page, a, a guy who I feel like has already been forgotten Big time throughout history. I'm sure our friend Jack Isaac will appreciate the, the Marcus Page love, but he's one of the best college basketball players of that era. And that shot, if it's not for maybe the best game winner in college basketball history, a couple of seconds later, uh, the shot by Marcus Page might go down in a similar vein, um, forcing OT and who knows what happens from there. But obviously we all know the way it ends, and, and that's why it truly is as great of a game as it is with just the simplest play in the world, a little handoff behind uh, to Chris Jenkins, he hits the three, and and that's it. You're, you got a new national champion at the buzzer. Well, I think the reason why I also dropped so low on my list, Joey, is because I couldn't name you four players on the court in that game. 
Like they're all great college basketball players, but you don't get any amazing names unless I'm missing someone personally. No, I mean Bryce Johnson on UNC. Uh, yeah, he's you know, a first I mean, round pick. Yeah, um, like, like that's yeah. great. But Arch like, Diacono and has had a, a couple of nice years there for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, I'm proving your point. It's yeah. Like, we, we agree on that. It's great finishing, but like you didn't have the names to that game. So but, I'll but, move on to my. But on, way on the flip, though, I, I would say that maybe that's why it's such a great college basketball game because it's so purely a college basketball game where we barely remember the names we just remember the teams we remember the moments and ultimately isn't that what college basketball should be all about mm-hmm. it's not about the players getting paid and all that I'm, of course i'm getting on a tangent here they okay, pay dad. the pay the players Thanks, please dad. please pay the players but at the same time i do think that there's there's something to be said about Some the purity, purity yeah the purity Whoa. of that game Jeez. wow wow look at that pause. Yeah, pause there all right well ryan what's what's uh what's your number one so number one same year as the christian leitner game it's that championship duke against unlv where duke wins by 2.7775 the reason why this is my number one is because my dad went to unlv big running rebels fan graduated in 73 and this stuff stuck with him and he has these games on tape the year before when they won the national championship unlv and he has this one on tape when they lost to duke and i remember growing up and watching watching unlv win the national championship and just watching my dad and then re-watching this one as well this is the one where he points out at the end of the game, if he didn't miss those free throws, UNLV could be national championships back-to-back for the first time since UCLA and all that. So for me, that's one of the best basketball games of all time, but I think this more has to do with nostalgia and the fact that I'm a UNLV family. So, And Christian Leitner also played amazing that game. This is the same year when he hits that Elite Eight shot against Kentucky, so it all kind of worked out for them. I think he'd be a big Leitner guy too, am I wrong? No. Eh, he's kind of a dog. <laughs> He's kind of a dog, actually. Kind of, he kind of, he's kind of a dog. I like Christian. I figured Lightner. to be a big Leitner guy. That, that makes sense. But number one on my list is the 2010 National Championship between Duke and Butler. Um, obviously, a, a similar game maybe to what we were talking about earlier. You got Gordon Hayward who went on to have a great NBA career. But outside of that, not a bunch of NBA guys out there. But um, obviously, the, the lasting memory is Gordon Hayward's miss at the buzzer would have been Honestly, one of the greatest plays in, in sports history, in my opinion. Uh, a f- half-court heave right off the glass, off the rim, rolls off. You know, you, you're a, I don't even know what the measurement is. Maybe a centimeter off from, from hitting that glass at the right angle, having it fall, and going down as, as one of the more unprecedented national champions in history if you're Butler. And obviously Brad Stevens, the head coach of that team, now the Celtics head coach. So that, that was – this game is – what made me support the hiring of Stevens at the time, obviously now the job security, not as strong as it was a couple of years ago, but yeah, I think that it's again, maybe what college basketball is all about just about as good as, as any game that I've ever seen. So. All right. Well, that's not, you're not wrong. That's probably a really good game. Didn't know, really know what you're talking about to be honest. So I had to look it up, Joey. So I just want to move on real quick. I think our lists were pretty solid, but can you remind me who's winning in our bracket challenge, Joey? Oh. And who's going to win? Who, who, can I remind you? Can you remind me? Because I, I haven't looked at it in oh, a while. Oh, you don't know? Oh, no, okay. I haven't looked at it in a while. So I figured you would know and you'd want to tell me about it. Yeah, let's see. Let's just not forget either, though, before we get to this, who just absolutely killed the round of 32 and the, the round of 64, obviously, because that was me. Um, so I'll just give myself a little All right. pat on the back first. 
And um, let's just let's just go from the bottom to the top here, if you don't mind, Ryan, because we got a few minutes, so we can. Yeah, that's why can, I want to bring it up. To we wrap can it spend all some up. time with this. So in last place, and again, for those who could still earn more potential points, we'll mention that. Um, but if we don't mention it, that means they're all done. And in last place is uh, Jamal Thompson, <laughs> 360 points in the seventh percentile. Uh, right in front of him, Jack Isaac, 370 points. So shout out Jack. Tough. In the eighth percentile. Um, now we've got uh, a team here, bottom room. That's Pierce. Okay. Um, yeah, he's got, well, he's got Gonzaga winning it all. So he's currently sitting at a, a 580 point total, but he is capable of jumping up to 900. So he's got a lot on the line tonight. And right above him, a guy who, who he'll be competing with tonight, Trevor McLean. 640 points at the moment, but he's got Baylor winning it all, Ryan. So there's an intriguing little subplot to, to watch tonight. Who's going to win there? Pierce we'll or tweet Trev. it out. We'll tweet it out. Yeah, we'll, wins. we'll keep everyone updated. Who's fighting for seventh and sixth? Yeah, exactly. And now right above Trev is Zach Waterhouse. 690 points. He's done 49th percentile. That's respectable. Can That's we just shout out that we have two all-time great Emerson College basketball players on our bracket? I mean, two members of, of the greatest team in Emerson history. So, like, you, actually, yeah, you got you one, put one that out rookie there. of the year, one leader of the team. But also, let's give a shout out. You know, hey, Rob Hennigan, who, uh, what's stop, his stop, stop, Sam stop. Presti. I mean, come on, we, we've got some, stop, we've got some great players come through these halls. I, I'll, 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 I just I'll say, want to know who's number one. Well, all I'll say, all I'll say is, I hope Trev and Waterhouse get to edge even further up on the Emerson all-time list next year. Joey, how fun would it be if you and I called games next year and I started learning how to call games? I mean, hey, get on the lists. I can I can get you on those lists, Ryan. But now above Waterhouse, we've got Skyler. He's also all done. 720 total points, 55th percentile. So now we're getting into some pretty good brackets. Number three right now is Jawan, 780 total points. He's got Gonzaga winning it all, so he has the chance to jump into second on this list by the end, 67th percentile as we currently sit. Second place is me. Oh. With 920 points, oh, 85th percentile, but I am all done. I had Gonzaga in the title, but obviously, if you've been following along, I had them losing to West Virginia. So while I had a strong start, this is where my That's journey weird. ends. And Ryan, shout out to you, man. You're in first place right now. You're even doing better than me before the title game at 980 points to my 920. You're in the 90th percentile. And... It looks like you're going to win this one no matter what, if I'm not mistaken here. It looks like you've already clinched it. Trev will come close if Baylor wins tonight. He'll be 20 points behind you. But as far as Juwan, he's got Gonzaga winning it all. So even if that happens, he'll still be 200 points behind you. You're sitting at a max of 1,300 points if all goes well tonight. So thanks for crowning me the champion of our bracket, Joey. I appreciate that. No did you know what. you'd clinched it? Yeah, I know. I, I checked it all up. I did the math. <laughs> I won. Thank you, everyone. This is my best bracket. Just want to put that out there. I have an even better bracket that's sitting at the 98th percentile. But the issue with that is I have Baylor winning tonight. Also, how many did you fill out? I filled out seven, I think. Seven. Yeah, but okay. two of them went nuts. This one All went right. crazy. And then my other one was like 97, 98 percentile. And I'm in a group of like 60, 70 people. And I'm number one right now. If Baylor wins tonight, I'll win that bracket. But I don't want Baylor to win tonight. So I don't even know why I entered that. I want Gonzaga to win tonight. I mean, it looks like you had the whole final four, unless I'm reading these numbers wrong. Whereas our friends Jamal, no, I only had two of the four. Our friends Jamal and Jack didn't have a single one, even in the Elite Eight. So, well, I just the thing is, I had like Michigan going out earlier, but I didn't have them final four. I had like Alabama, and that everyone had Illinois going final four, but I had um, Houston going final four. But anyways, Joey, 
Great talking to you, college basketball. Go Zags. Do you have anything to say? No, that's about it. All right, from 603 Boston. Peace.